My name is Alec Cowan, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Welcome to the Emerald Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Bice. I'm an associate editor for the Arts and Culture Desk. I cover the music beat, mostly. I recently sat down with up-and-coming EDM artist Crane, who's from Oakland, and before his show in Eugene, we talked about his first debut album, Fallout, and some of the singles off of it, and his first headlining tour. Here is his lead single off the album, Hollow. So, um, is this your first headlining tour that you've been on? Yeah, everything else has been um, either... Uh, like DJ nights, soft ticket nights, or um, doing support for larger acts. So this is the first time following the release of the album that we said, let's put together a headline tour, you know, curate the show, tailor it more towards um, fans, play a lot of my own like music and bring some people out that were on the album, some other people, so. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So how does your approach change when you're like, you know, maybe the opening or not the main headlining act on tour compared to um, being the main act that people are there to see. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, well, I mean, so one with, you know, DJ nights, um, soft ticket nights where, you know, it's a mix of people coming out for you and people that just want to go out that night. Sure. Um, I I don't do this too much, but I try to tailor the set to be a little bit more accessible, mm. um, but not overly because I don't want to, um, I don't want to disappoint people that are coming out for my music. And sure. then, you know, for support, you... You know, you think about the arc of the night, and if you're right before the headliner, you know, two DJs before the headliner, you don't want to wear people out really early. You know, people really, for the most part, are coming out for that headliner. So, right. uh, you know, it's important to kind of create, yeah, create an arc for the evening. Something like this, though, is, is really fun because I get to play a lot, as much of my own music and weird stuff as I want, <laughs> which is really fun. A lot more freedom. I know that people are, like, they're more trusting. They're more energetic. Exactly. And more, and they're looking for that too. They're looking for what they know my sound to be. So, yeah, it's cool. It's it feels um, really gratifying and uh, and validating. I would say. Totally, I completely understand that. When people are there to see you, and like you said, just trusting you, you yeah. feel like you can maybe push yourself as an artist. Yeah, in yeah. I play a lot of um, unreleased music of mine, and that's always a little risk because you know people have never heard it. They don't have the melody in their head. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not sure what to expect. But I think with a tour like this, I have a lot more liberties to kind of push people a little bit. So that's really fun. That's great. So do you have like a set that you've been practicing over and over and over again that you play every night or are you going to switch it up and throw something new in every night? Uh, Definitely switch it up every night. Um, Mm. You know, there are some, there's some tracks that I know will be in every single one of my set and those are, you know, some of the songs that people really know me for and I know that they're looking forward to hear, to hearing in like a club venue. Um, Otherwise, for me, if I'm doing the same set every night, I'm not having fun either. Right. If I'm pre-planning too much and that sort of thing, it doesn't really free me up to be more expressive. Um, but yeah. Right. Well, I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were in product design yeah. for a little bit before this, before you were a full-time musician. Yeah. How has that, um, that background in design helped you, if it has at all? Well, I never did now? this sort of graphic design and illustration and stuff sure. like that. I never did branding. So in that regard, it hasn't prepared me at all. Mm-hmm. But 
I think it, it's done a couple things. One, it, it made me really familiar with the software I would use. It made me appreciate branding in general mm. and all the little touch points that right. people interact with from website to a show visuals, album art, um, you know, all the way down to like mailers that we'll put out, just making sure everything feels like it's coming from one place, which is me. Um, and that's really important. Here's, I guess, a better question to lead with is, when did you first start DJing and how did oh. you get involved with that? If we're going to backtrack Yeah, a totally. Bit, yeah. I mean, I was just working a 9 to 5. My brother had showed me SoundCloud and some stuff going on in the beat scene and I'd never listened to this kind of music before, never went to a club, mm -hmm. like didn't know any of these How old were you at this point? Uh, this would have been when I was like 25 or something. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah, but um, I just started making beats for fun because I was kind of looking for a new hobby at the time and I'd always played music but not produced mm. and then I just started putting them online and you know kind of getting into it um, making really bad music for a long time but yeah it was just a hobby it was really fun I got hooked on the software mm -hmm. and then I remember when my first booking request came in it was just really confusing <laughs> I mean my only exposure to DJs had been like weddings and bar mitzvahs right so, which is a little different than the clubs yeah <laughs> so I had to kind of figure out what was going on and so that just kept growing. And then, you know, after a little bit of time, I was really careful about when I transitioned from, you know, having a salary job to this, mm -hmm. um, just because I'm a bit of a planner. Sure. And uh, yeah, it was at the point where I could look, I could say, all right, I, I can feed myself and pay my bills. And in a year, if I'm not optimistic about the fact that it's growing and, you know, catching up to what my life was, then I'll go back and I'll quit. And a year later, I was really optimistic about it, and so I stuck in it, and that was like a couple years ago. So I have to remind myself, because like anything can start to feel like a job, is sure. kind of one of the realizations. Like this was my number one hobby, and now it sometimes just feels like, not just feels, but it feels like work. It is a lot of work. Um, it's, I don't get to just play around all the time and make whatever I want. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of touring work, there's a lot of marketing work, there's, you know, we're doing interviews, yeah, all like the behind a lot of the this scenes other stuff, stuff yeah. which is still, I prefer it over the work mm -hmm. part of a regular job, but yeah. How do you keep your spirits up when you sometimes it starts to feel too stressful if you're like it's becoming just a regular nine to five job or something like that? Um, taking breaks is really important. And for me, just hanging out with friends and seeing people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's no one there to tell you to stop working in this job, ever. Mm -hmm. you have to do that for yourself as opposed to like oh it's five o'clock and everyone's leaving the office or a boss saying okay your work's done you're good you just don't have that when you're self-employed in general and especially not with something like this where I could always be working on more music right and so you start to just your ears become tired when you listen to so many things and think too much about what you're doing it can just like you know, you're spinning your tires a little bit. So I think the most important thing is just taking breaks, walking away from it, remembering to schedule in weekends mm. uh, is really important, especially when, you know, I'm at home producing all week and then something like the next two months, every weekend I'm gone, so. Right, so did you play any live, like other instruments when you're growing up yeah. or anything like that? Oh yeah, totally, I played guitar since I was like nine. 
Okay. And, um, you know, like in middle school and stuff, it was all rock and metal. And then I got into jazz and played in some, you know, really amateur, just jazz groups with friends. And then in college through the school of music, but never really took it seriously. I mean, I remember, uh, I remember my dad telling me a story because he grew up playing some woodwind instrument his teacher always convinced him always said don't be a musician don't be a musician I remember he he's a doctor but he went back and asked him like I think as an adult why did you always say that and his response was well if I could convince you not to be a musician you weren't going to make it because musicians there's nothing you can do yeah. it's how much work it takes and dedication there's nothing you can tell them to stop them from being musicians that's sort of their calling I think that's sort of a dated approach, but I never really aspired to play professionally or be a music professional. I never thought that was an option. And I think what's so cool about electronic music now and the internet is that I can somewhat, you know, with a lot of work still, but somewhat kind of find myself working in music one day. And if you had told me three years before, I, I would have not believed you at all. Besides, like maybe using some live instruments and recording, and like obvious ones like duration, what's the difference between your recorded music and your live music? Well, I'm not sure I understand the question. I mean, sure. there is when I'm producing music, part of me is thinking about where and how are people listening to this, mm -hmm. and it's just kind of natural because it comes with the mood I'm in and what I want to make. Certain songs and stuff are really not things that I would I would integrate into my sets because. For the most part, my sets are much higher energy. People want to come out. It's late at night. They're in clubs. It's really loud. And you know, maybe this will shift over time. But sometimes I just want to make really mellow music or something like that. So right. I mean, there are like you know, like the previous question, there are songs that I'm not putting in my sets at all mm -hmm. that I have. But um, you know, and then a lot of the a lot of the stuff I'm doing when I'm DJing, there's a lot of edits and a lot of um, I might produce a song, but then I want a version that's a little bit more club appropriate, and so strip it down a little bit in sure. terms of the arrangement. Mm -hmm. But it's nothing dramatically different. Cool. Can you talk to me about a little bit the process of writing, and recording the album was like? Yeah, I mean, I think and this might be true for other people too, but it, mm -hmm. it just starts with a song or two that feel like I want to take the sounds and grow it more and you know it started with a couple singles and I thought to myself oh you know this would make a nice little EP package and the more I kept working on it and sketching it it just kind of grew and grew to the point where I was like having to remove songs off it because it really? just kind of spiraled out of control mm -hmm. um, so it was actually really organic it was it was pre-planned in the sense that I had an idea of like the mood I wanted to capture the sounds I wanted to use um, the kind of vocabulary of sounds I guess sure um, but organic in the sense that I didn't sit down and say, okay, I'm going to do 10 tracks, they're going to be like this, and now I just need to write them. This, like, uh, a lot of collaborations for yeah. this album. What was the collaborative part of the album, like, recording it, and how did you, like, take that? Are you used to working with other artists? Oh, Are you yeah, used to bringing in other people and stuff like but, that? But, I mean, a lot of this stuff happened remotely, which is, again, what's cool about producing mm -hmm. technology right now. Um, I think the only... 
one or two of the songs, maybe we were in the same room for part of it. But like even now when you, I think, write a song with someone in the studio together, a part of the process is just going to happen remotely and over Dropbox or, you know, sending large files back and forth. Artists so, need space to work, yeah. You know, for the most part, it really just went back and forth. Like the one with Slumberjack, they were on tour working in hotel rooms. <laughs> really? Yeah, they I think they had a couple days in their yeah. studio, but they were in LA maybe, and we just sent stuff back and forth. And I still haven't met them on, in person. Really? So the, like, <laughs> that's doing really funny, yeah. tour dates with them, that's going to be the first time we get to actually hang out. But I mean, there's that's just awesome. a lot of chatting, a lot of texting, mm-hmm. talking on the phone and stuff like that, which I, I think is awesome because mm-hmm. you send something off and you get something back and it's a great feeling to open it up and then see all the stuff that they've done, see their ideas. Right. Um, and I think it's also, it's even when you're in the studio with someone, it's nice to have some separate time because having someone sitting there talking to you or over your shoulder while you work is just going to change what you do. Mm-hmm. You might not be as comfortable doing stupid things. Right. But once in a while, doing stupid things leads to like an unexpected surprise, like messing around with some sounds that sounds terrible for an hour, but then all of a sudden sounds good. Mm-hmm. You can feel a little self-conscious doing some of that sketching with other people around unless you know them really well or trust them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So now that you've, you know, released your first debut album, you're headlining your first tour, what's next for Crane? Um, I've got a bunch of singles in the works that I'm excited about. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about. Fair enough. Got a remix package for the album. that We've got most of the tracks back with some really cool names on it, some big names and some really small names, but it's really fun to hear these songs completely reinterpreted. Totally. Um, working on some apparel stuff to um, take some of the frame graphic design and branding and actually you know a lot of people have been bugging me for merchandise and clothes and stuff like that so I've always procrastinated because I knew that would be a huge project I'm not just gonna hire some designer slot my logo on a shirt yeah and call it a day like I want to do something special so that's coming along and will come pretty soon actually and the, the clothing's looking really cool Nice. Any career goals or aspirations, what would they be looking forward five, ten years from now, if you could look that far ahead right now? Um, just to be involved in music as my career. I think that's, it's a humble goal, but it, it's hard, you know, I mean, being a producer and a DJ is awesome, but like the primary thing is being able to think about music all day, being involved in the creative process, mm-hmm. this is one way to go about that, but, you know, and I'd love this to continue. Um, I'm just realistic to know that like it, it could end, like people could lose interest, and that's okay. If that's, you know, if I'm not doing interesting stuff anymore, that's my fault. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like being able to take something that I've spent so much of my free time thinking about, making, analyzing, listening to, being a fan, and now having that as my way that I make money and like every day is incredible. So if I'm involved in music. From my nine to five or whatever mm-hmm. in five ten years, like I'm so happy. I'd like to thank Crane for being on the Emerald Podcast today. I had a really good time talking with him. You can find his music on SoundCloud and Spotify and YouTube too. This podcast was produced by Alec Cowan. Thanks for listening.